0: Oh, yes. Good evening, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. I am in for Michael Fragan tonight. Spin class, of course, the world of politics, and it is a big world of politics, especially this time of year. And we get to explore it every single Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern time with Michael Fragan. Tonight, I have the honor and privilege of sitting in for Michael and really exploring one of the uh, things I find so fascinating in this world, and that is, of course... The world of politics. Lots going on, especially with November 5th looming right around the corner. It's, uh, I don't know if everybody around the world is as focused as we are in the New York area on November 5th, but on November the 5th, the brand-new mayor will be chosen in the city of New York. You know what they say, it's the second most important job in America. That's what's said, I guess somewhat tongue-in-cheek, uh, but it is an important job and a very high-profile job. New mayor will uh, take office in January, but the election will be November 5th, uh, just a little bit more than a month from now. You'll never believe who our first guest is tonight as I sit in for Michael Fragan, somebody who has spending, who is spending a tremendous amount of time with the Loda campaign. Joe Loda is on the Republican side and running for mayor of the city of New York. And that is the one and only Michael Fragan, the usual host of spin class. Michael, welcome to your own program. How about that? Is That, that, that really as exciting. Is that amazing? To like, be a guest at home. Like magic, we've switched roles. It's pretty incredible. Um, well, I'll, I guess I'll start with this since you're so closely associated with the Loda campaign and uh, we are anxiously um, uh, waiting to see if this does in fact turn into any type of horse race between now and November 5th, meaning wondering if it's going to get closer or not. Uh, the numbers have not been favorable for Joe Loda and I'm sure you've seen the most recent reports in the last – couple of days does this discourage his campaign is this something that they expected right after the primaries as you build up toward november the fifth
1: well i uh, just the,
2: the, i assume you're referring to the quinnipiac poll yeah. up this morning that had a uh, loaded behind by some 50 points correct and the previous polls had had him down by about 40 points uh, the, i have to say in a place like new york this is not necessarily unexpected uh, there is uh, a tremendous built-in advantage for a Democrat, and the people who had really been engaged in the race for a long time were chiefly the Democrats because they had been campaigning, and that was the main event race for for many many months. The Republican race was really just a sideshow. Right. To a large degree, it was kind of a sideshow to see how much money John Kasich could squander trying to uh, attack uh, Joe loda and he spent quite a bit of money doing that. And I think that. Many voters had their introduction to Joe Loda vis a the the TV ads and the radio ads that John Kasich used used to attack. So that's a certain so that's certainly a dynamic in the race. I think as more people start to start to pay attention, uh, the the general election el- electorate is not quite as liberal as the. As the uh, Democratic primary electorate, and this race has got kind of to tighten. There's no question about that. But the, but the big, uh,
0: but the big question is: is that is that constituency going to come out to vote? In other words, we've seen that on the Democratic side, there's some uh, energy, some excitement, a desire to get out to the polls. The question is: will will those who are more toward the center feel the same way on election day?
1: That is certainly a good point. I think the
2: the issue is in general. Uh, if the voters are, who are most committed to the cause, will they come out and vote? Not dissimilar to the question what you have going on in Washington right now, where people might scratch their heads and wonder, how could 20 to 30 Republicans who are very, very conservative basically throw any type of deal over, you know, the government, or government fiscal policy hostage? And they could basically, uh, they could actually throw out any deal or any possibility of a deal. And the reason they can do that is because they don't worry about a federal election; they only worry about primaries. Right. And I think that that's uh, you know, we have to wonder: where the great mass of center voters out there, who are essentially centrist, are going to want someone like Bill De Blasio, who I know not respect, but somebody like Bill De Blasio, who is really a very, very uh, left wing politician. He is he is in favor of handcuffing the police and, and reducing their ability to to police effectively. He's in favor of higher taxes. When's the last time you remember a guy who unabashedly said, I'm going to run for office and I'm going to raise your taxes? <laughs>
3: so
2: the only person I can remember, I mean, most people say, I'm not going to raise your taxes, but they do it anyway because they have to. Remember, George Bush 41.
0: And Bloom- and Michael Bloomberg himself.
2: Michael Bloomberg himself did it. But, uh, you know, uh, everybody, the, the most interesting thing about the Quinnipad poll was the fact that uh wealthy New Yorkers seem to be backing Bill de blasio as well it 's kind of a certain type type of masochism that uh that uh, people want they say okay i 'm be very happy to have my taxes raised but i, I say that tongue in cheek I think that that there is uh there there 's no question that he is Running an effective race, and uh, in general, the Democrat has a very significant built-in advantage. Uh, but we'll have to see the people who didn't vote in the Democratic primary, and there are many Democrats who didn't vote. Obviously, the great, uh, a lot of independents out there. And, and others, uh, we'll have to see, you know, what happens as the race tightens. The one, one more interesting facet of the poll is, uh, Adolfo Carrion. Okay, the, the Latino, uh, uh, former pro president, of the Bronx as well as a former Obama administration official is still pulling at two percent. He has absolutely done nothing with his campaign and I think a lot of people had felt that somehow he was going to be a factor in the race he has not been a factor at all. It doesn't seem that any Latino voters seem to care whether he's in the race or the fact that they might be interested in electing a Latino to office.
0: Michael Fragan on our telephone line. He's actually on his own show. It's Spin Class with Michael Fragan. My name is Nahum Siegel. Uh, so um, let me ask you about a couple other things that are going on. Uh, any surprise in the Squadron-Letitia James race for public advocate? The election took place this past Tuesday, and James did, in fact, completely uh, obliterate. I guess we could say that when it's a 20-point victory, uh, Daniel Squadron. Uh,
2: not a surprise at all. In fact, uh, I, I was involved in a race uh, a couple of years ago which had a very similar dynamic in the runoff. That was John Liu versus David Yasky. And uh, David Yasky had all the newspaper endorsements. John Liu had all the union endorsements. And uh, that's what you had here, uh, you see, one thing you see here is how newspaper endorsements in New York City no longer seem to matter, even in the Democratic primary, even in the New York Times, right. the way they used to. So it's, uh, it, I'm not surprised at all uh, about the outcome there. And fortunately for Dan Squadron, he has a job to go back to, even though he still has to move to Albany. But uh, the one interesting thing I just point out, and you might have gotten to it, but the, I, the most interesting news to me today is the fact that Joe Hines is planning oh, to contest the general election.
0: I am very glad you brought this up. It caught me a little bit by surprise this morning when I found out he's actually running as a Republican.
2: Well he was on the he's on the Republican and the Conservative Party lines, both of those, and he he remains on those lines whether he chooses to run or not. But the fact is that he turned around essentially this morning and said, I'm gonna be raising money and I'm gonna be running. I think the his calculation there is to say, well, Many, I lost. I lost kind of narrowly. I still have a large reservoir of support. Many years, I have been a universal name recognition in Brooklyn, and uh, I think that between the people who didn't vote or don't vote in the Democratic primary and those that voted for me, I can build the coalition uh, in order in order to win, uh, in order to win the race. And uh, we'll see. I mean, there certainly aren't any voters I think in in Brooklyn who don't know who Joe Hines is. So uh, we'll have to. You know, we'll have to think about it. It's a very gutsy decision on his part to go ahead and try and do this because he will not enjoy much of the institutional support that he had in the past.
0: So it's going to be unpleasant for him in the next month because he'll essentially be losing friends.
2: (laughs) Well, I guess less unpleasant than walking away uh, quietly. uh, uh, you, You have to wonder at, look, he is in the 70s, but he obviously loves the job and he certainly... Wants to go ahead and serve another term. Uh, I think it's a very interesting, very interesting thing. It had been rumored for a couple of weeks, uh, over, over the last couple of weeks that he might do it, but what, the fact that he's actually doing it is a surprise to me.
0: And if you'd have to make a prediction or you don't do that? Uh,
2: if I had to make a prediction, I actually believe that, uh, he could come close, but I don't think in the end he's gonna be able to win. I think it's, uh, the, the numerical uh, I think the Blasio voters are generally going to be Ken Thompson voters. Uh, they're not going to go ahead and pull pull the lever on the Republican uh, and conservative line in Brooklyn, and I think that's a huge bullet advantage. So on the other hand, uh, I think that Ken Thompson has a huge uh, has a huge uh, liability in the fact that it seems it seems it has been reported that Clarence Norman, the uh, convicted. A uh, former assemblyman and former chairman of the Brooklyn Democratic Organization, right. uh, who who served time, uh, was was behind the scenes really running the Ken Thompson campaign, and uh, in, in Central Brooklyn. And uh, potentially there are a lot of reform voters who might who wanted Hines out of there, uh, but that might not be too happy with the return of the old power structure. Which truthfully, Hines has to be credited as a D.A. Uh, you know, we kind of look at Heinz as the establishment, but Heinz took on the establishment and put uh, very corrupt politicians in Brooklyn in jail. And uh, the, perhaps there are there there is some liability for Ken Thompson in that.
0: Very interesting, I'll tell you. You can't beat the spectator sport of politics, and this one is really getting interesting as we get closer to November the 5th. All right, oh, Michael, you there? I'm still here. We had a little bit of a break up there. Uh, gl- uh, glad to hear you're back. Must, must be that guest host. It's very possible. I just don't know what I'm doing. Uh, later in the show, you know if I'm doing Michael's show for the first time, I'm going to invite people that I really love talking politics with. Ezra Friedlander is going to join us. Jacob Kornbluh is going to join us. We're going to talk more on spin class about what's happening. Michael, before I let you go and head back to the Loda campaign, one more quick thing. What do you think of the Cory Booker numbers in New Jersey this week?
2: I I, I expected that race to be a little bit tighter. I didn't think it was going to be entirely a cakewalk. There are a lot of voters out there who might be apprehensive about uh, who might be who might just feel a little bit apprehensive about electing the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, as uh, as their senator. You know, with all that liberal baggage, and some of the things that uh, that Booker, some a couple of unsavory things that Booker has. Uh, about particularly some of his Twitter indiscretions, uh, they don't quite match uh, yeah. Anthony Wieners. But, I mean, uh, Frank,
0: frankly, I didn't think they came close to any of that stuff. But, they, they, but, don't,
2: they, they don't, but, uh, but on the other hand, he's going to win. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Cory
1: Booker will win this, will win this race.
0: Right. Um, so uh, the last days of the Bloomberg administration, as we get down into the last couple of months, uh, what do you think? Will Will he go gracefully, or is this going to be a very long goodbye? <laughs>
2: I think up until the very, very last day, Michael Bloomberg will talk about all the achievements that he's managed in the last 12 years, all the ways in which he's changed the city,
1: all the ways when
2: this city has rebounded from 9-11. And I think, yeah, on the whole, I think history will judge Michael Bloomberg very favorably, even though it seems that the electorate uh, this time around, uh, obviously, at least the Democratic primary electorate certainly did not judge him favorably this, and would like to see him go and go quietly. But I don't think that's his style, and I think he has a, a lot of accomplishment to, to tout uh, all around the city, and I think he will be very effective at getting that message out. And even when he goes, he will not be quiet afterward, because I don't think that, that is, uh, that's his style either. As former mayor, I think he's going to continue to be a factor, and a large, larger than life presence in uh, city politics.
0: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of what his plans will be once he's out of office, uh, Michael. I, uh, from what I'm told, it's official that you will not be host of this show until after the election on November the 5th. Is that correct?
2: Well, he, he, I felt inappropriately, that, uh, or appropriately, that it would be best to not be involved in a campaign and hosting and trying to report on the on the politics out there at the same time. So graciously you have stepped in as the uh as as you know our biggest political asset out there <laughs> and, uh, to to go ahead and, and and you know handle the show. But I still come on and I'm happy to have to voice opinions. So 100 I don't think it'll be a problem. Uh, I, I, I am curious as to uh as to Mr. Friedlander's very quick uh churn towards uh towards Bill De Blasio after uh Christine his candidate Christine Quinn got crushed in uh, in the Orthodox community. Well if you, that, if you that's w- a good there's a good question there.
0: Well believe you me, if you're making a recommendation to me to ask him something like that, I certainly will do it. I will bring that up just about five minutes from now.
2: <laughs> well, I think Ezra's wonderful. I'm a big fan of Ezra and I particularly liked in his in his missive the idea that one should vote for Bill de Blasio because he does not need GPS to get to Borough Park. (laughs) I think Borough Park is wonderful because all the streets are in those numbered sequences. It's a a grid,
0: right? It's a grid. If if one
2: can figure out that 15 comes before 16 and that 45 comes before 46, I think you'll be okay.
0: Uh, be careful, you don't want to say 45, that may not be politically correct. You want to t- uh, cho- choo- choose a different number in Mara Park. I should, have, I should
2: have said 45 and
0: 48, I apologize. <laughs> there you go. Alright Michael, thank you so much, have a wonderful and weekend, and we will check in with you next time we do spin class.
2: Thank you, Nachum, and I appreciate I like the fact that I'm laughing more than
0: when I host the show. That's <laughs> you got the easy part, I guess, this week. All right, there he is, Michael Fragan. He's the host of Spin Class. By the way, Michael uh, is doing a brand-new show for us in the Nachum Siegel Network, which you can catch on Monday mornings at 10 a.m., and I certainly hope you will catch it. It's called uh, a Tech Talk, and it specifically is geared to what's happening in the technological industry in Israel. A lot for us to be proud of, so he has really expanded his horizons. It's not just politics. Uh, you can catch him uh, do- that show he will continue to do as the campaign goes on between now and the 5th of November Ezra Friedlander scheduled to join us Jacob Kornblue who's in oh he's already on Twitter I see I'm retweeting him like crazy already as he talks about what's happening here on Spin Class uh we will get to him as well live in our studio I wanted to take the break time that we have a couple of minutes between guests and just to play for everybody uh, what I thought was uh, the most important uh, political um, uh talk of the week uh, that is, of course, uh, excerpts of the speech of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel at the United Nations. And we'll do a piece of that and then come back with Ezra Friedlander and plenty more coming up if you keep it right here at Spin Class. You are listening to the Nachum Siegel Network at nachumsegel.com and jmantheam.org.
4: Three decades ago, President Ronald Reagan famously advised, trust but verify. When it comes to Iran's nuclear weapons program, here's my advice. Distrust, dismantle, and verify. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel will never acquiesce to nuclear arms in the hands of a rogue regime that repeatedly promises to wipe us off the map. Against such a threat, Israel will have no choice but to defend itself. I want there to be no confusion on this point. Israel will not allow Iran to get nuclear weapons. If Israel is forced to stand alone, Israel will stand alone. Yet in standing alone, Israel will know that we will be defending many Many others.
0: A very important excerpt from Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech at the U.N. this week. Probably the most important uh, words on the political scene uh, that we heard this week, even with everything happening as we head up to November the 5th. Well, Ezra Friedlander is with us live via telephone. This is Spin Class. My name is Nachum Siegel, sitting in for Michael Fragan on this Thursday night. We're live on the Nachum Siegel Network and we get to speak to Ezra about the world of politics and find out his impressions about what's happening out there. Ezra, welcome back to Spin Class.
1: Thank you, Nahum. What a pleasure. I appreciate
0: that. Great to speak to you. First, tell us, what do you think of the Prime Minister's words this week?
1: You know, it's uh, every time you hear uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, you tell yourself, this is a this is a first class orator, but he represents the state of Israel and by extension the Jewish people, uh, very honorably. And, uh, he's a tremendous asset. And, uh, I hope that the, uh, the, the leaders in the room, uh, understood, uh, his message and, uh, will take to heart that, uh, there's no, there's, 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 there's no choice but to, uh, but to, uh, make sure that Iran has no nuclear weapons. This is is no
0: joke. I like your your description of how he represents the Jewish people. I think that's a uh, a very apt and deserving one. And uh, thank God he was courageous enough to perform the way he did at the U.N. this week. Ezra Friedlander on our telephone line. All right, so the rumor is... Uh, that, uh, you have now decided to recommend in the New York City mayoral race Bill de Blasio against Joe Loda as we get to the general election on November 5th. Obviously, many people know that you were not uh, working with de Blasio during the primary, but you've made this decision. Explain to us why.
1: So it was a very easy decision to make. Uh, uh as obviously everyone knows, uh, Quinn lost the primary and I was proud to support her. Uh, but Bill de Blasio is someone that I know going back to his days uh, on the city council and even prior to that. Uh, he was my city councilman. He represented parts of Borough Park and he knows the community very well. He served with uh, distinction on the city council. Uh, there are issues that he uh, addressed that basically uh, allows you to uh, Make an informed decision. How we would perform as mayor, and as I wrote in the op-ed, it's not. People have to understand when you're the mayor of New York City, or the governor, or president, for that matter. There's going to be more no's than yeses, and if you if you understand how the uh, how government works, it's not always possible for those in a position of power, such as the mayor, is to say yes but it's invaluable the, uh, the knowledge that Bill de Blasio has because he represented parts of the Jewish community in the city council and obviously as public advocate, he represented the city of New York as public advocate. So he doesn't need a briefing paper. He doesn't need anyone to explain to him, oh, this is, this is why we need this, this is why we need that. He gets it. He understands it. He's been there. He's done that. And it's very comforting in a sense. And that's how I came to, to that decision. You know, Chris Quinn asked, uh, her supporters to support Bill de Blasio. And, uh, I decided to do that.
0: Uh, Ezra Friedlander is with us. We talk about the election coming up. In your, I mean, now that you're on de Blasio side, obviously you're, uh, I'm sure even more connected with his campaign than you might have been earlier. Uh, is it going to be a cakewalk? Is this going to be a very easy election for him? Are the numbers going to bear themselves out? Maybe not the 40 points that some are suggesting that he's up by right now, but it could could it be Squadron James-type numbers?
1: It could be, but anyone who takes this business seriously, if they're 40 points ahead, they run, They should run like they're 20 points behind. Right. I don't think de Blasio's taking anything for granted. No one... No one running for elective office should take anything for granted. Uh, I'm, I'm not a campaign official. I'm, I'm not particularly uh, involved in the campaign. I, I, I wrote this op-ed because I did feel it was important to share with those, with the, with the greater community, my feelings on the race. But uh, you got to run a real race. Obviously, it was very good for him. Uh, but uh, I, I wish I had a, a nickel for every race that looked like a short shot and ended <laughs> up uh, the other way. Yeah,
0: you could tell us about some races that turned at the very end, right?
1: I can tell you, I was with Mark Green in 2001. Right. So, uh, I uh, and even then, I, I never never underestimated uh, Bloomberg. You never underestimate anyone that has that was valued that has you know a few billion dollars with a be like boy to spend. Right. Uh, and you shouldn't take anything for granted, not only when you run for elective office, but uh, even when crossing the street. You know, it's, uh, A person should always understand that fate is not in your hands.
0: In your mind, uh, and you were again with Christine Quinn uh, during the Democratic primary, uh, were you surprised that the governor of the state of New York did not, make, uh, did not take a more active role, and do you think that he will take a more active role in the next month for Bill de Blasio? You
1: no, know, the governor of uh, Uh, Didn't take a a position in the primary because you know he's the governor, he's the head of the Democratic Party, so to speak. And uh, most people in that position never like to uh, engage in night but don't like to take sides in a primary. He did endorse De Blasio, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that he will get involved in the nitty gritty, and uh, I think uh, it's in his interest not to. Uh, The governor is. uh, is, fairly popular with Republicans as well, and I think he wants to keep it that way.
0: All right. Uh, Ezra Friedlander is with us, Spin Class. My name is Nachum Siegel. I'm sitting in for Michael Fragan tonight, who's working on the Loda campaign. Uh, James Squadron, did any of it surprise you as the runoff ended the Tuesday night and Letitia James had a 20-point victory?
1: No, it didn't It didn't surprise me. There was a, a consensus out there, uh, for lack of a better word, that... Uh, uh, the union, the power brokers wanted to see, uh, a, a woman, preferably, uh, a woman, uh, of color, uh, to balance the, uh, white male lineup, uh, mayor and, and controller with uh, the Bosnia and Stringer respectively. And, uh, she prevailed in a very strong way because she did have many powerful unions supporting the candidacy. Uh, and uh, the handwriting was on the wall. Well, uh, post-
0: post- We'll get to the stringer race. It wouldn't be fair for me not to bring it up with you on the phone, so we'll get to that <laughs> coming up, one of your big victories. So what do you think of Hines tossing his hat back into the ring?
1: I don't know. I, I hope he knows something that I don't know because uh, it surprised many. I, I, I'm sure that on paper there is a path for him to, to, to win. I, I, just, I just don't see it. But uh, you never know. Again, the, uh, unless he has something uh, up his sleeve that, that no one knows, something that uh, will shock everyone. Right.
0: I'm trying to think if there's a precedent. Do you remember even, even in, a, in a much more local election, like even in a city council district, anything like this where somebody did move to a, quote, unquote, less popular line and end up winning after losing the primary? Did anything strike you or come to your mind right away in terms of your dealing with all this stuff over the
1: years? You know, it's interesting that Tish James won her council seat after losing the Democratic primary, but she won on the Working Families Party line.
0: Interesting. That's a good uh,
1: example. It's it's a good example, but it's not a. It's, you can't compare it because it's not the. Uh, it's not a Republican. line. Working right. Families Party is even to the left of the uh, you know, theory of, of the Democratic alliance. Uh, uh, so it's. I don't know. It's surprising. You know. it's... Uh, you know, the most difficult thing for an elected official, apparently, is to know when to hang it up. Right. And, and like, Joe Lieberman did it. You know, he he, he retired gracefully. And he was four terms in the Senate, and I sometimes find it very remarkable how they don't want to let go. And it's surprising.
0: And you by know? the way, and by the way, because we mentioned earlier uh, in terms of him being in the seventies, I don't remember the exact statistic. I'm not going to Google it this second. But Joe Hines, I believe, is closer to 80 than 70 at this point.
1: He is. He's closer to 80. He's been there for, for 24 years. You know, he could have announced two or three years ago, I wouldn't run for re-election.
3: Right. It would have been
1: accolades for him all over. He would have joined a law firm. He could have done some uh, public service, public speaking, and uh, everyone would have, uh, you know, congratulated him for you know, five decades in public life it's, uh, but, you know, it's a democracy. You can run, and yeah, obviously he has those two lines to run. So uh, let, let the people decide.
0: Yeah, Let's, all right. Ezra Friedlander with us, and as I promised, we've got to get to the Stringer race. We have a couple of minutes with Ezra, and then we're going to get to Jacob Cornblue who's going to join us. Spin class with Michael Fragan. My name is Nahum Siegel. Great to sit in for Michael live on this Thursday evening. All right, uh, the Stringer I want to tell you something. I I I th- look, i 'm not allowed to issue a preference. we all know that, but I made it clear in my one long conversation with Elliot Spitzer on j m and the a m that I was not very enthusiastic about the fact that he decided to run. I would like to have seen him you know stay not bow out gracefully but stay out gracefully because I just thought it was inappropriate that someone like him would would would, would want the public 's trust or even you know dare ask for it after everything he had done. All right. He ran. So I had my, my opportunity to fight it out with him for two minutes, and, of course, we moved on. But I, w- I was fearful. Uh, obviously, again, no preference, but, you know, wink, wink. I was fearful that his entry into the race would really topple Scott Stringer, and we know what happened. We know under your guidance, Stringer went ahead and uh, won the race for New York City Controller. Analyze it for us. How did he fend off what was a real spitzer charge?
1: Okay, uh, it, it, it I think... Pitzer entered the race without thinking it through carefully. Uh, he saw Wiener uh, jump back in. He saw how initially the polls were in his favor, so he decided, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. Obviously, he has the money, so that wasn't the factor. He jumped in. Uh, the initial polls had him up only because of name recognition. Uh, when When people get asked, you go to a state that you're not familiar with, uh, or a country, and say, "What do you want to drink?" You'll say Coke, even though at home you may prefer apple or, or or strawberry juice, because that's the name you're comfortable with. That's the name that comes to mind. The same way it's with polls. People ask who you going to vote for, Spitzer or Stringer. They don't even know who Stringer is, so they'll say, "Oh, Spitzer," and they'll hang up the phone. Uh. But but the, the 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 problem that Spitzer faced was that wall to wall it was opposition from the political community. When I say the political community, I mean the greater political community. Uh, Political organizations, uh, editorial boards, uh, uh, people of stature, uh, business leaders. There was this wall-to-wall opposition. Spitzer managed to uh, piss everyone off, for lack of a... (laughs) He was just... You know, he's a... Extremely bright guy and a capable guy, but he overreached too many times with too many people, uh, even as AG, and people did not want to see him in a position of power. Uh, they felt that he just uh, would, would, wouldn't be the right job for him. And then Spitzer, uh, uh, Springer reintroduced himself. He did have money, he didn't spend the campaign cash that he raised, so he had uh, money to spend to, to uh, present to the voters a comparison with him as a public servant for 20 years, always did his job honorably, he had a vision for the office, and the more people saw Spitzer and they were reminded of his past scandals, they gave Scott Stringer, uh, 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 an opportunity for him to present himself, and he did. And he presented his vision for the office, what he intends to do as controller. People liked what they saw, they liked what they heard, and he won. And so uh, you, you combine the non-likability factor of Elliot Spitzer and, and, and our voters uh, evaluating the two candidates. And uh, as I said when I hosted uh, Scott and My Suka. Nice, sometimes nice people finish
3: first.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes. The Friedlander Sukkah, a hub of political activity every single year, huh? <laughs> By the way, just to be fair, we should also mention that I, I believe, just from the positive side, as an observer, and you know how I eat this stuff up, I'll, I'll watch city council proceedings on Channel 178 if I have it, you know. <laughs> so I, I I did notice, and we know Spitzer's a great debater, and you can't deny that he's a great great debater. But but Stringer stayed with him. He stayed with him in those debates. He was, made a very good presentation. Stayed very calm. Had a great demeanor. You know, he uh, I think he realized I think he realized if he keeps an even keel and just keeps forging ahead, he'll win this thing. And he went ahead and he did it.
1: Yeah, listen. The expectations were so low for for Scott Stringer that all he needed to do, and he did more than that. He it was just to, it was to to show a contrast and a good contrast, and, and and he prevailed. And you know, it's sad because Spitzer would have so much to offer. He he's a very very capable, bright person. Yep. you never know. He might come back one day, and he. He might engage uh, the, in, in, in community service and public life, and who knows down the road what opportunities uh, might present. Well, present I
0: hear what you're saying, but you know, essentially, for so many people, his name is mud. Uh, we, we see what um, we see. What our sages have always told us: how someone could ruin their name and reputation for generations with with their own stupidity.
1: Right, and it wasn't just it wasn't the, the stupidity with you know the scandal that ultimately. Brought him down. When, when you're in a position of power, which he was, and you show absolutely no mercy, right. you engage in, 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 in such rough and tough uh, adversarial uh, action. Right. People, he, you know, he intimidated too many people when he was agey, uh, and he, he took on so many people in a way that people felt was, was unfair. And when you when you mess up yourself, people are not going to give you a second chance. People won't give you the benefit of the doubt. I mean, look at Bill Clinton. He was involved in scandal after scandal, and but he but he but he had friends because he is... Genuinely a nice right. guy. I'm sure you've met Bill Clinton on right.
0: many occasions. Yeah, he he has friends, and he uh, he forged. By the way, I've heard people say, and "We got to go," because I got to be a friend of my guests. But I I've heard people say that the the reason the government shut down. Is frankly that Barack Obama, as skilled as he is, uh, does not have enough friends in Washington. The man, the man, is still a rookie compared to some of the people who've been there for 30, 40 years. We know that he came in as a senator and then all of a sudden became president, and that could be a factor that he just doesn't. Uh, has I, I,
1: I don't know if I agree with that. That's, that's for another discussion. All right, okay. If Jacob Corble can analyze that better <laughs> than I can.
0: I think building relationships is really key, and if he would have had that experience that a, a Ronald Reagan or others had, you know, of decades of experience like Lyndon Johnson, etc., it may have been. Offered. Ezra Friedlander, thank you. Good luck with the mayoral race and, uh, hope you'll join us again soon on Spin Class. Thank you, Nahum. Thank you for inviting me. Ezra Friedlander here at, um, at Spin Class with Michael Fragan. I'm Michael tonight. Actually, I'm sitting in for Michael tonight. It's Nahum Siegel live on the stream. The Nachum Siegel Network, jmn.org, NahumSiegel.com. Jacob Kornblue is here. If I love discussing politics and I think it's the best spectator sport around, why not talk about it with the person who spectates more than anybody else? Jacob is with Yeshiva World News. He's on Twitter. Uh, he's everywhere. And he's now on Spin Class. Good evening, sir.
5: Great to be here. And it's so warm to sit in Michael Fragan's chair. <laughs>
0: Yes, I noticed that you tweeted that uh, you're here, and Michael Fragan is not. So, uh, i got to ask you first about your schedule. What did you do Election Day? Were you at different polling sites? Were you following different candidates? Did you end up at any of the victory or losing parties? How did you spend Tuesday?
5: Actually, I ended up in victory and losing parties. I was at um, Joe Loder's victory party. Yeah. I ran over to Anthony Weiner's concession speech, which was pretty wild. Um, oh right, I'm thinking that election day was this past Tuesday. That was the runoff. We're
0: talking about the real election day, which was the Democratic primary, right? Yeah. So yeah. you were at Loda. You end up at Wiener's
5: concession then. Then I went over to watch John Katz uh conceding the right. race. What did he pay? Four hundred and some dollars a vote, right? I think it was four hundred and nineteen or four hundred and twenty-nine. Something like that. They ended up ten million dollars. Right. Mean, so when yeah, they divided and, it and up, I think, think it was in the four hundreds uh, per vote. Twenty-two thousand votes right. It's about that range. Yeah. And then I went back to Joe Loder, if you're speaking about the runoff, I was at Tish James' uh, victory party. I had the sense that she's making it because, uh, frankly, she was the only one other than Bill de Blasio making history this year. That's correct. She's the first black female to be elected. I mean, she's not elected, but she's presumed to be elected to a citywide office. Now, you watch some of the Squadron James debates, right? Didn't
0: the James who celebrated Tuesday night seem very different from the one who was in those debates? There were, to me, there was no passion or energy as she was debating, and, and Tuesday night, she was a, a ball of fire up there.
5: Yeah, she was emotional. She was herself. I mean, <laughs> the crowd there yeah. was wild, and it looked like... You were right no. in the thick of things? I was right next <laughs> to the podium, and <laughs> all the people behind me were like uh, um screeching and chanting and whatever. So, I guess this is her base and it made her feel a little more comfortable. The debates, um, he did a good job, Squadron, yeah. although the media wasn't with him. Well, we could, oh. we could, we could really see, I mean, if you looked, um, uh, the night early on the evening of the runoff, um, he was on New York 1 with Errol Lewis. I mean, I love Errol Lewis. As he's, do he's,
0: I. He's, but uh, he
5: was terrible. He showed his bias terribly that night. Uh, I tweeted about it, you may have seen. <laughs> and I retweeted it because I, I also thought the same. You, you you sometimes you gotta be honest, even right. if you if you have friends, but um it was brutal.
0: Terrible. I felt bad for Daniel Squadron. I mentioned it to people here at the Democratic Club.
5: Well the, the the only the only comfort he can find is that he's still remaining in the Senate. Right. And the Democrats Right could. here, by
0: the way. You're in his district, you know. Oh
5: yeah. yeah this really? is his
0: district right here.
5: Hi, Daniel.
0: <laughs> and
5: um, his only comfort is that he would, um, the Democrats would regain the majority in next year's election, right. which will also be a fun election to watch.
0: Right. Jacob Cornblue is here. It seems every year there's a fun election to watch in this city. It's really funny. Well, it looks like it's a fait accompli, obviously, with the controller. Scott Stringer is going to... Uh, Although be... he
5: has an opponent. Right. But, but he, but... A, and he's a, he's a great guy. I met him um, two weeks ago, and uh, when I speak to people on the street, whoever meets him, is very inspired, but of course, it's not a right. Springer, stringer Spitzer race, and it's not even competitive.
0: And of course, we we know that Letitia James, barring any, you know, crazy turn of events, is going to be uh, the uh, a controller of this, uh, the public advocate of the City of New York. But now we get to the mayor's race. So you're obviously spending a lot of time with Loda from the elect, from before the election, and well, I mean, you're following him. I mean, you're seeing, yeah. and you're seeing the Blasio well, as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you are following and, and spending time with both campaigns. And you heard what Michael said, you heard Ezra's analysis. Are you getting any feeling that the campaign, meaning the Republican campaign, is gaining any traction, that we're on the road to a couple of exciting weeks, or is it just the opposite feeling?
5: I mean, I'm, I am a great believer of polls. Now, if you stick up a poll to me, to my face, and say, uh, this is definite... I mean you you could always argue. I mean look 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 at Cory Booker. I mean right. Cory Booker after all he he might he, he most probably will win the race. He's right. a favorite and it's New Jersey and he's popular. But from a 30 point lead he went um, I mean okay, you can believe it or not but right. Steve LaNigan's campaign claims that he's only 3% behind Cory Booker. So it it always happens the the last phase of the campaign, the the, the last stretch always gets competitive. And and you can't even believe that Joe Loder would get only 6% of the black vote. I mean, come on. It's a Democratic-heavy registration in New York City, but you still have independents. You still have Republicans that are of all color. So to suggest that he would really make it a 95-5 to race, no. But, I mean, Joe Loder is still a Republican. He still has his liabilities. He's running... Uh, um, he's backed by Rudy Giuliani, right. who wasn't so popular before 9-11. And 9-11 isn't the topic right now. Of course, you can argue that crime may seem to go up. Uh, his um, Bill de Blasio's stance on stop and frisk is not so popular. But he's still, I mean, when you watch Bill de Blasio on the trail, he knows how to campaign. He knows how to relate to the people.
0: Jacob Cornblue is here. One of the indications uh, that I think is important to always watch is, and you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, because you know more about this than I do, it, it seems that when you see noticeably Jewish groups cast their endorsement early, then you know that this thing is over. And we have seen, I, I, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but a bunch of Hasidic groups already endorse de Blasio and get out there publicly more than a month before the election to say that he's their choice. Is that unusual, number one? Number two, do you agree with me that if they're doing it this early, then certainly the Jewish community feels he's going to win?
5: I mean, if you look back a few weeks ago, uh, the Satma community, the biggest sector, the Zaloinim, they endorsed Bill Thompson and right. so did Dov Haikin. And they also believed that he is the next mayor. So there's always uh, miscalculations in these But things. that was pretty close to the primary, no? Not a month before. wasn't like a week or so ago? And he was lagging in the polls. Right. So they always make their assumptions based on friendship and relationship. I mean, you look now, Dov Hyken had a good relationship with Bill de Blasio. He hasn't endorsed him yet. Right. And he knows something um, that we all know, that if you look at the Orthodox Jewish community, we vote for anyone in the national elections or in general elections if he's a Republican. Right. Uh, Carl Paladino got almost 70% in Borough Park. Correct. Mitt Romney got over 80%. and uh, So you can argue in a mayoral race, it's citywide, it's more effective. You will see a split. You won't see the Giuliani-Dinkins split in the Jewish vote. You'll see maybe a 50-50 split for Joe Loder and de Blasio respectfully. Maybe Joe Loder will have an edge when it comes to orthodox vote. But if you're talking about these organizations... Uh, uh, um, um,
0: that have come out already. They've
5: come out already. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically. I think it's more build the Blasio. I mean, you can call it castigating, but it's basically calling up these people and saying, "Hey, I need you now. Listen, I'm I'm going to be the next mayor of New York, right. and so why not come on the train right now? Why delay the vote and then you'll look for my number, you'll come knock on my door, right. and I'll be busy eating a bagel,
0: <laughs> not being able to answer the phone, huh?" Uh, do you think it's a dangerous strategy or – see, I, I, I'm trying in, – in, in today's world,
5: it's a dangerous strategy. Because you Why? never
0: know. You never know. Because Loda could win this thing. If I told you uh, a month and a couple of days from now that he's the victor that night, Tuesday night, you're not shocked. It could happen.
5: It could happen because miracles happen. And 9-11, you, you didn't know that right. morning that it's going to happen. I'm not suggesting that uh, uh, um, Loda can only win if there's a crisis right. here. But there's still a distinction between 2001 and 1993 where um, the city was uh, um, in a – I mean the city was divided when it came to race in 1993. And in 2001, the city was just devastated. They were looking for somebody that has managerial uh, um, experience. So but, – but still, I think Joe Loder has one thing that Bill Blaser doesn't have and that's uh, really he has been there already. He was there on nine eleven he was budget director, he was deputy mayor, sit-in mayor for for Giuliani when he was overseas right. so he knows how to handle a budget. he knows the city, he is with the orthodox community on issues
0: but, his but biggest. he's
5: still a republican and
0: one other thing he's not an exciting candidate yeah he,
5: he's, he's
0: not an exciting alternative to de blasio
5: he's i mean one on one I speak to him a lot. uh, He speaks to reporters, he gaggles and chats with reporters. He is very interesting. He's very down-to-earth. He is extremely uh, um, smart, a genius. But still, when it comes between him and voters, he comes away a little too serious, uninspiring. And, of course, if you mention uh, uh, reporters like me that always like to make headlines, always like to put up such um, Anthony Weiner-type videos online (laughs) – you don't find this race interesting. By the way, interesting.
0: You, mean, you mean the one where Wiener went against the voter, not any of the other stuff that Wiener puts online. Oh, about, yeah. No. You're talking about
5: your video where Wiener yeah.
0: and a voter in Borough Park were fighting. Uh, because, and it just got viral right.
5: because right. this is the nature of campaigns.
0: Right,
3: of it course. gets
5: uh, contagious. But when you see a candidate, how he acts on trail, you know he's going to act the same in office. And, right. and Bill de Blasio has been an effective campaign manager for Hillary Clinton. He 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 helped the John Kerry campaign, the John Edwards campaign, Bill Clinton. He worked for Bill Clinton. He worked together with Cuomo. So he still has some more experience in handling uh, um, a campaign, and therefore, I mean, he's also an, he's not inspiring, but he's he comes across as so, somebody like us when when he's on the trail. I mean, right. he, nice he's,
0: neighborly fellow.
5: <laughs> yeah, but he's still he's he's hardly to be seen since his primary win.
0: Um the, um, the, um, the night that we saw each other, I guess it was June when the Jewish press put together the Democratic primary night, right? If I would have told you that night that de Blasio would end up being the winner, am I right that you, I would never have believed it. I mean, he was, he was way behind at that point, right? Yeah, I,
5: I would recall a telephone call that I spoke to one of the insiders in the community, and yeah. I won't name, name his name. He told me, I don't understand Bill de Blasio. Why didn't he stay for another four years in the public advocate's office? It would be his for the next four years, and in four years always, if we know christine Quinn um, uh, perform bad,
3: then he you can always
5: seen. step in right why did he do it, and he was at ten percent. Since October last year, and it never moved, right? It never moved, no matter what what endorsement he did, <laughs> no matter what. Me- and he was the only one that had a message. Right. I mean, Anthony Weiner came to that debate, Called with place. a stack of newspapers, correct? With he, he was checking his BlackBerry. He didn't even tune into the debate, and everybody was Mr. Weiner. Right. Weiner's the front runner. He was the star of the
0: night, without yeah. a doubt. He, was, he he performed, I think, the best that night of everybody. And yet de Blasio, a couple of months later, what happens? He ends up being in first place to the point where he takes the Democratic primary
5: victory without a runoff, which no one would have believed. That for sure. If I would have asked you, the night before somebody told me, Listen, Jacob, you always know what to predict and you're always good with predictions. (laughs) I mean, I know you predicted that Romney's gonna win and he didn't win. Well I didn't know Sandy's gonna come up. And good point. And that Christie would be an Obama side. <laughs> I told him, listen, there's always a momentum factor. And the fact that there's only place in the final stretch for two candidates, if Christine Quinn is dead, then it's between the two bills. Right. Now, if it's between the two bills, look at the voter's mind. There's either a hope for change, which is Bill de Blasio or Bill Thompson. Or there's Christine Quinn, What people think she's, she, she did a lot, she has a good record and whatever. No, but
0: in with the mayor and everything. But there.
5: if everybody ducked that issue, if everybody said, we don't care, we are not going to Christine Quinn, the only choice is Bill de Blas and Bill Thompson, look at these two campaigns. Bill Thompson had no campaign message. He was sleeping on the trail. He, he, you asked him an issue... Uh, uh, of great concern, If it's not only the Jewish community. if you, I, I, I covered him in other communities. It was in black community, Hispanic community, in the Bronx, in Harlem. And every answer, every response to every concern of a voter was, we have to sit down and discuss. Well, we have no time to discuss. Bill de Blasio, in contrast, had an answer to every issue. Uh. He, was on, he was on offense. He 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 went against Quinn with uh, term limits and whatever, right. but he had a message, the tale of two cities. Agree with it or not,
3: he it's
5: said still it. a slogan like, yes, we can. Of it's course. still something that you can relate to, and therefore he won. He was just the last man standing. Jacob Kornblew is here. I'm so curious about your day.
0: Uh, is it... 20, way, 20 waking hours and following people around all day. By the way, this is very dangerous. Neither of us can tweet because we're talking to each other. I, ho- I hope you're going to. I hope people are <laughs> tweeting about <laughs> us. I hope so. I hope you'll be tweeting at seven o'clock so that people will know through Twitter what what's some of the things we discussed. But um, is, is the day like that? Because the impression is that someone like you never sleeps, is always following these people around and trying to you know get and, uh, whatever they can and, and see and hear and report whatever they can. Is it like that
5: or are days media? World, you have to be on top of things. A report that happened, some something happened three hours ago, and you report it in five hours on the evening news. It's not news. Nobody's going to read it because there's so much outlets out there to read. If you follow New York City politics, for instance, and you follow around uh, 20 or 30 top reporters, everybody is at almost every event, and everybody has their own, uh, I mean, uh, point. To, to a certain a phrase or a certain right. uh, a comment that was made at that event. But everybody reports about that event. So you always have to find something interesting in that event that nobody covered, that people would actually uh, come to your site, would you read your reports. I mean, I, I have an um, advantage that I'm, I think, the only ultra-Orthodox reporter on the trail. I mean, is can, there nobody else? Interesting on the trail. No, I mean, you can always argue right. that there are few reporters out there um uh, writing for the Jewish outlets.
0: Right.
3: But
5: on the trail, you see a, a, a guy with a black yarmulke uh, running around, sticking in his video camera and tweeting of these events. It's unusual, and therefore I have some unique uh, um, um, instinct to what's going on in the Jewish community, and I can also communicate between the Jewish right. community um, and the candidates. But is my description
0: office. right that there's very little sleep for Jacob
5: Cornblue Is that yes? Correct? And that's why I thanked God in some way that he made uh, Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot come out <laughs> on Thursday, Friday, so I got seventy-two hours of sleep. <laughs> I regained my energy, but it could happen sometimes that I go to sleep three o'clock. Uh, four o'clock and I just don't wake up in the morning until 10 o'clock. I miss a lot, but you know, sometimes my body can't carry the heavy weight that I'm carrying in my
0: Unbelievable. I mean, you're living a candidate's life, right? They're basically also doing 20-hour days, right? At this point, I would guess. Uh, or is that uh, not yeah, true?
5: I mean, if they're not ru- running right. around, they are at least on phone calls, fundraising and doing media right. events. So there's that... But, but it's still energy. Uh, you always, um, it's always exciting. You get to know new friends and you get to create a relationship with the press, which is vital for our community because, frankly, uh, we know that we have gotten a lot of bad press, not because we are bad people, but because we, we have no good PR or we have no communication. Or sometimes some world.
0: of us do stupid things. Uh,
5: well, uh, if, if somebody does, to, I mean, uh, you, you ask um, some, uh, a Republican right. about the shutdown. Uh, he'll be outraged, but still a, a, a member of his party voted for the shutdown. Right. So you can always find within the community uh, a murderer, somebody that uh, um, you can't associate with. But we are still a fast-growing community that um, carries a lot of weight. Uh, we, we have a lot of votes to give to our candidates. I mean, uh, look now and look in 10 years from now. There will be uh, uh, an enormous advantage for the Orthodox community in Brooklyn when it comes to elections. So we have to extract our right. We have to, um, of course, voice our opinion. But we also have to know to to live with others and to know uh, to tackle issues that are not only in our daily lifestyle, but also in, in a general. If you look at the economy, jobs, right. unemployment, taxes, all these things cool. uh, um, 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 matter to everybody. But when you uh, um, put in your energy in a... In, um, cameras, security cameras or transportation bill, which is very good for the community. It's still only for our community, and then you attract the media to criticize us and blame us for taking all the money in the budget.
0: What an important point you raise. Uh on Twitter it's at Jacob Cornblue, K O R N B L U H, right? That's correct. K R O K O R N B O U H Jacob Cornblue. Why Twitter. Have you considered other social media outlets? Because this is the one that you have basically chosen to to uh, you know pronounce everything that you to to state everything that you want to state every single day.
5: Twitter is the best outlet to get the word out, and you're not inf- enforcing your opinion on others. You can always forgo a tweet. You can always delete a tweet, and you can always unfollow a person. Right. So, for instance, if you look at Facebook or, or, or other social sites. Uh, If you are in a forum and you have a discussion, you always have to look back or you get pinged that this guy is sending you a message again and you have to look back and go back and forth. If it's uh, email, your inbox always gets full. And if it's Facebook, you still have to be their friend and see what pictures they put up and uh, what mood they wake up in the morning. On Twitter, you have a timeline. You can always unfollow people. You can create lists. But it's also in 140 characters, you can always create some take an event, or take a moment and put it in into a single paragraph that could actually be carried further. If it's your opinion, if it's a quote from somebody, but it always goes um, carries further. If it's retweets, favorites, and if people stop me on the street, yeah. they wave to me high. I have no idea who they <laughs> are, and they know me from Twitter. So it's always good to use your Twitter name, the right name, put a nice picture. So people recognize you on the street, and not hide, hide behind pen names or, or you know, Twitter just there uh, debating or whatever. You have, you have any- an opinion, you always express your opinion, and 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 most most important, you gotta be credible. You right. can't just tweet rumors that you hear in the mikvah news, or you go on the street and, or you even make up your own stories because Twitter has become a tool that can actually. Build yourself up. You can, you, can, you can create relationships, and you could get the word out there. You could market. You can do so many things on Twitter but with one tweet. And remember, Anthony Weiner, with one tweet, Correct. his whole entire career got over.
0: Any idea? I'm looking at it, so I'm just quizzing you out of curiosity. Any idea how many followers you have on Twitter?
5: I have two main uh, Twitter handles. Right. I have one, Jacob Kornbluh which has 2,600-plus unique followers. Very good. And then I have another one, which was formerly the Bibi Report, and now it's uh, um, YWN Jacob, because Ah. I'm still the political correspondent for Yeshiva World News, and I have there 7,416, I think, if I'm correct. I I usually look, whoever follows me, I want to see if it's a unique follower, if it's uh, uh, somebody that's just trolling me or... Or or it's spam. And and
0: by the way, just on the Jacob Cornblue account, 38,000 plus tweets, believe it or not, in your career, just on that account. Yeah, and my fingers are not numb yet. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Uh, Most recent thing you posted to Yeshiva World News. What was the most recent report you filed for them and the most recent thing that you wrote that ended up on their website in the last day or two?
5: The most recent report was the debacle in the Brooklyn and Queens uh, Republican Party. And that's fascinating because... The Republican Party is in decline regardless in New York. Right. And, and they almost have no elected officials. They right now have Michael Grimm as a congressman. He might be defeated next year. Uh, you have Marty Golden, which has been a senator for years. Right. His, his district is also becoming um, competitive. And then you, you have senator, um, former Senator David Truman is running in a council race. He's a favorite to win, so he might be the only Republican to win in a citywide race this year, unless Loder pulls it out. So they are in decline, and and here they're fighting over crumbs. And uh, you have two counties, GOP uh, in Brooklyn and GOP in Queens, and you have four chairmen. All of them are claiming they are vic- they were victorious this week at the convention. So you can't be f- <laughs> more fractured than that. So it's. It's, it's kind of fascinating to see people who are on decline, who, who have no appeal, who, who know that the National Party already, the name of a Republican, is already uh, uh, um, something you wouldn't wear uh, in, 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 in public in New York City. And to go suggest that I'm the boss, you're the boss, who cares? Jacob Cornwall is here. Spin class with Michael Fragan. My name is Nachum Siegel.
0: A minute or two left. Uh, We addressed this with our previous guest tonight. Uh, Is
5: D.A. Hines making a mistake, jumping back into this race? He's not making a mistake. He knows what what he's doing. Uh, I actually knew a few weeks ago that he's going to pursue uh, running on the Republican and conservative line. I just didn't have any credible uh, source going on the record. Right. Because I have a lot of sources that are off the record but you can't uh, um, create a buzz with that so uh, he, he he fundraised 150,000 dollars yesterday last night alone but you have to also have to know that uh, the limit is 60,000 so if you get 10 or 15 people who really want to see you back in office you have six hundred seven hundred fifty thousand 750,000 dollars on the other hand Ken Thompson who won the Democratic Party and you, you saw how he acted in in, 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 in bringing together all the communities, right. even those who didn't support him right. because he knew that he's awaiting uh, or something may may happen and he hasn't raised any money um, since. So y- you got Brooklyn uh, usually and, and the fact there is that um, the minority vote usually comes out only on primary day because primary day you have the unions, you have to get out the vote. Right. On election day, they don't so much um, turn out. And Heinz won the white vote overwhelmingly. He wanted the Jewish community overwhelmingly. So he still has a case to make that even though you wanted to send me a message, you booted me from the Democratic ticket. I got to learn my lesson. I was three weeks out of the spotlight. People were already uh, uh, burying right me. Right. Now I'm back because I really want to save the city. And it's an argument that you can make. People know him, and, and people don't want to burn the bushes. So... Uh, he could make this race competitive. If he's going to win or not, I can't tell you, but it will certainly happen. Um, um, we'll certainly know in a month from now. We and certainly Joe will. Loder will have to thank Joe, um, Joe Hines if this race becomes even competitive. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Always a pleasure, my, my maestro, Malcolm Siegel. <laughs> I appreciate that. At Jacob Cornblue
0: on Twitter. He's amazing when it comes to analyzing politics and uh, that's why we invited him to this edition of Spin Class. I want to thank Michael Fragan for letting me sit in this chair. Michael will be out of this chair until November the 5th, till the election as he continues his work for Joe Loda and I will be here with you next week. The Nahum Siegel Network continues with a great music mix and plenty more coming up at nahumsiegel.com and jamintheam.org.